Hello everybody and welcome to The Reading Room. This is Room 31. And in this very special edition, we'll be reviewing The Rise of Nine by Pittacus Law. It's the third in this series of young adult books, which has so far sold in excess of 250,000. And of course, I Am Number Four, the first in the series, has already been made into a Hollywood film produced by Michael Bay. And joining me to review The Rise of Nine is our regular reviewer and the most read person in the East, Jill Hart. Good morning, Jill. <laughs> Good morning, Paul. Hello. And our very special guest herself, an author of young adult genre, and has also uh, recently released the third book of the 13th series, Niteria Rising. It's the always effervescent Georgia Twining. Hello. Welcome, Georgia. Good morning, Paul. Hello. Uh, now, let's give the sales patter for the book and see what we thought. The Rise of Nine in the beginning, we were a group of nine, nine aliens who left our home planet of Lorien when it fell under attack from the deadly Mogadorians. We scattered on Earth and went into hiding. We look like ordinary teenagers, but we are not ordinary. I'd been on the run alone, hiding and fighting to stay alive, but then I met John Smith, number four. Together we were much more powerful, but it could only last so long before we had to separate. They caught number one in Malaysia, number two in England, number three in Kenya, they caught me in New York, but I escaped. I am number six. The Mogadorians want to finish what they started, but they'll have to fight us first. The Big Issue said that it's a franchise set to eclipse Harry Potter and Moody Vampires. Pitticus Law is about to become one of the hottest names on the planet, and the Times called it relentlessly readable. Jill, what did you think? Well, as I often say, I'm not the ideal market for this. I'm a grown-up. It's a book for children. Mm -hmm. And I was coming in on the third book of something. Um, it's. I found it's a little bit difficult to read to start with. I was expecting more depth of character plot and the things that go generally with reading a novel. And I, about two-thirds <laughs> of the way through, <laughs> um, I, I sort of got it. I sort of came to terms with it a bit by looking at it as a, as a comic book without pictures or um, an episode of Heroes where it's all zap and pow and, and, and all action mm -hmm. rather than um, a, a lot of, of depth of plot and character behind it. And and I got on better at that stage. So um, it's certainly a dance like better than I could write. And I, I I didn't take to it as well as I have to lots of other, to other things I've read in this genre for this age group. But um, I also watched the first movie and it, it obviously it was one of those things that probably was making a better movie than it made a, a book. Yeah, I, I think with, with the, the thing with the book is, uh, I mean, like you say, there you refer to heroes. That's why heroes is a TV series. Yes, um, it's, it's pretty. Um, the, the characters are very very shallow, but it, you don't really mind that because there's so much action and thing going on. With a novel, you 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 need to have some depth, don't you? I think you do. I think you do, and that was the the, the main thing that I. I struggled with. I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit more later. Um, we will. Well, let's let's cross yeah. to cross to Georgia and get your your feelings on it, Georgia. Yeah, I mean, I read the book from start to finish. I definitely read the whole thing. Um, I felt very much like Jill that it was almost like reading a film script rather than an actual novel. So it, it just skimmed the surface of everything. There was no depth. I couldn't relate to the characters. I couldn't get involved with them. I couldn't even at one point. I couldn't even imagine what they looked like, which is very difficult when you're reading because you need the writer to give you that. Information. I didn't feel that I received it at any point until very near the end where somebody described the characters. Um, and obviously, if you're following the whole series, I'd seen the first film, so I had in my mind what those characters looked like. So number four, what number four looked like, what Sarah looked like, what Sam would look like um, from the film. But apart from that, I just couldn't connect them. And yet I read the whole, I did read it from, from start to finish. So. OK, well, I think, I think, you know, to be fair and add a bit of balance here, we all came in reading the third book. 
Absolutely, yeah. However, I also think the three of us sat around this table are, are well enough versed in in sort of knowing what to expect, and 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 surely the really. The, the opening chapters should still be steering you in the, in the direction. Should give you and, some backlog as well. They yeah. should give you some just little snippets from from the perspective of the characters of what's happened so far. I mean, you'll always give, even if it's a couple of paragraphs. This is how we got to here, mm. or this is what's happened to us. And I didn't even feel that the first, like um, Jill said, the first couple of chapters I found it really hard. I was sort of like, well, if I wasn't part of this gang, I'm definitely not going to get into it, into it now. I um, mean, it just sort of hit the ground. Mm. And it was like it was almost like the book started. The page after the previous book finished, and, yes, it and it, they should have made the previous book just a bigger book, yeah. you know, mm. rather yeah, than I, making it two separate and, ones. Um, obviously, won't do, don't give ends of anything away, but it ended in the same way, and uh, with mm. I imagine the intention of the next book picking up exactly in where the next it finished. Moment. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's just like a um, chunk. One of the things that I did find difficult, I also found it difficult to visualize characters for it. I read it before I watched the movie. Mm. Um, I don't think I'm any better having watched the movie actually thinking about it, but. I fa- also found it very hard because of all this all this number business. Now, mm. I, now, maybe that, I think the bottom of that is that the characters weren't well enough drawn for me to visualise them. Mm. But I also found it a, a lot harder to think what a six, a four and a nine looks like mm-hmm. than somebody called Sarah because yeah. Yeah, it, and I, it was something to hang my visualisation on. I'd like to come in there. We'll, we'll find out what I think after this. Let's set the scene with a clip from the audio book. Uh, this is re- read by uh, Devon Savari. How is it down there, six? Ella asks, leaning over Marina. I turn back towards the window. The men below the plane begin to clear away their equipment, conducting a few last-minute checks. So far, so good. My seat is directly over the wing, which is comforting to me. On more than one occasion, I've had to use my legacies to help a pilot out of a jam. Once, over southern Mexico... I used my telekinesis to push the plane a dozen degrees to the right only seconds before crashing into the side of a mountain. Last year, I got 124 passengers safely through a vicious thunderstorm over Kansas by surrounding the plane with an impervious cloud of cool air. We shot through the storm like a bullet through a balloon. When the ground crew moves on to the next plane, I follow Ella's gaze towards the front of the aisle. We're both impatient for Creighton to board. That will mean everything is okay, at least for now. Okay, so uh, an audio excerpt there, and that, that's taken from one of the very early chapters, first chapter, I think. Um, and now where I stand on this, I, uh, <laughs> I think most regular listeners will know that if I don't like a book, I don't carry on reading it. And uh, this, hey, hey, was one of those. I'm not a big fan of, of the genre per se, so it was always going to be a challenge. But with that in mind, I wanted to stick through it. Um, I'd, I'd seen the film I Am Number Four, reasonably enjoyed it, although I, you know, it, even that didn't stick with me. Um, and, and, and that sort of uh, waffle from the, um, the, the publishing uh, piece we had earlier with the, the, that says, you know, a franchise set to eclipse Harry Potter's and the Moody Vampires. Well, I mean, that, that, I, I find that pretty, pretty laughable. I mean, that came from the big issue. I don't know who wrote that. But um, I, I, the numbers, the numbers were just one complete barrier. And like you were saying yes. there, Jill, before we had the clip, the numbers just... They, they take out the personalization, the personalization of a name, which naming people is not very, very easy. However, it, it gives you depth and strength and emotion, and you ju- you just don't get that with numbers. And it it's, gives it's, you somebody to ha- something to hang your visualization on. Um, I read all the Scandinavian dragon tattoo books ages ago and the, the main character in that had a name that I still have found totally unpronounceable. Mm. But those set of letters made something in my head. Yeah. So it doesn't even have to be a proper name. It, it's something no. that you that you relate to the character but it was 
it was very... Um, Whereas this, I think, with the mm. numbers, I mean, it, it seems like you would have that idea and think, well, no one's done that before. Why haven't they done that before? You know, it seems like... I, I actually thought... <laughs> it doesn't work, Paul. Yeah, but I, I saw it. I thought the idea... I thought, okay, I, I can... I like that. I, like, I liked the idea initially. Then I started reading it and thought, well, no, it doesn't work. Mm. Why on earth are you doing that? And also, I... I enjoyed reading the action scenes, but they, they didn't, they just didn't link together very well. Uh, and like we talked about earlier, the, the, the depth, there's no depth there to link it together. So when there's no action taking place, I wasn't interested. Um, so I think I got about halfway through and just thought, well, do you know what? There's better things to be doing. I've just taken up cycling. I'm going to read a cycling magazine. I, you know, I, I don't want, I don't want to do this. Um, and, and, you know, why should I? I, I that, that's why that we have. Well, that, that's. <laughs> This is where told me that was an option. This is where I put my presenter hat on and say, well, it's okay, I'm only here to present the programme. It's mm. your job to review it yeah, as reviewers. No, there no, you go. We, we read it. It wasn't a long read. It was a fairly straightforward read. The language I found quite repetitive. Mm. Um, there was one phrase, one of them says, I use my telekinesis. Yeah. About, I don't know how many times she used but but the language was repetitive but not in a good way as well and mm. I, I found the repetitiveness difficult as I say once I stopped expecting it to be a book and thought of it as a television program I, I kind of did better okay um, so I certainly um, I know it's it's very difficult also and coming in th- a third of the way through as we've said or however far it was I went on Wikipedia and read the synopsis for the first two books and I, I can't imagine how I would have coped with it at all if I hadn't done that because at least I had got a little bit of backstory in my head but mm. I, I found the lack of backstory very 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 much a barrier and particularly the the some of the devices that um whoever writes it had, was used with um they have the, the characters all have these boxes out of which they pull widgets to do things with um and what wherever they seem to get in a plot where everything was getting stuck and everything was going wrong somebody pulls a widget out of a box and it solves the problem but because of that those these widgets didn't have to be built into the backstory at all and it just it just seemed to to skim over the surface there was no no one underlayers to the plot at all and i felt it was a device that had been used maybe for speedy writing i don't know but it it it's certainly along with everything else it's certainly i found that a problem um okay so we were talking about and what, what i'd like to pick up from you uh, from what you were saying there jill before about the powers um i'd like to cross over really there georgia and, and talk to you about that because you you put powers you give powers to people you play yes. god and you give powers to yes. people <laughs> how easy is that it's not actually it's really really complicated because for every power there has to be an anti-power you know, you, you can't just give powers away willy-nilly or it makes the characters almost t- tedious and boring mm-hmm. because they can do everything and no one else can beat them. So you're talking the kryptonite to, to Superman. To then. Superman, yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, and you, and you Joker to Batman and mm-hmm. it's it's all got to have, it's all got to be 50-50. And because Superman was so huge, he had to have lots of enemies against him. You know, it's, it's just got to be a balance. And, and to me in the book, there was no balance of powers. The, the teenagers, the, the Lorians, they had everything. Their legacies were never ending and they just popped up. Like Jill says, they opened their chests and a new power popped out and it was just so convenient. And it was almost, it was boring. There was no struggle. And when they had, and the only sort of villain of the piece, again, I didn't feel was a strong enough or intimidating enough villain to counteract all these wonderful powers that they had. They should run the planet, really. Yeah. They're that powerful. 
Yeah, but I mean, with with those powers, like you say, once they're stripped back, you want to see the character. You know, you, you want you, the powers are all there and they're exciting, and I think all of us around the table like to see that kind of thing. You know, mm. something a bit spectacular, which is why I think what well, you mm. watch heroes and these. You know, you like to 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 do this and fantasize yourself about what what powers you could have. Um, but you, what you need to do is, is strip those back and understand that it's the, it's the character that's going to win, that's going to you know win the day, not just the you know I'll, I'll dip into my chest and pull out a, an automatic. And the line. strength of the character, yeah, absolutely. They've got to be you know just because you can heal someone doesn't mean that you can just go around healing everybody. You've got to, sometimes you've got to be in a posi- put in a position where you choose who do I heal? Do I heal this person or that person? You know, you've got to have the Peter Parker moment where you go. Well, he he's made a mistake and his uncle dies because of it. There's no there was no angst, there's no pain. You didn't feel attached to the characters because they'd made mistakes. They were almost flawless, um, and so I just didn't and they feel felt no pain. Yeah, they felt no pain. They and, and number nine in particular seemed to think that you know all humans could die, whatever, as long as he as long as his people survived. And I thought, well. If you look at anybody that's ever worked properly, Harry Potter's love for muggles, you know, and, and humans was one of the things that sort of pushed him to the, even though he, he you know, like Hermione, his passion for Hermione and to protect her, that there was just nothing, there was no depth to the character that made you feel that. And I think what you remember when you think about a, a superhero should be, not their superhero side, but their human side. Absolutely. I think when you think about Superman, what you think about is this geeky, uncomfortable with himself bloke in love with Lois Lane, who mm. is beyond his level. That's what you think about when you think about Val. When I think about Val, your character, Georgia, I think about about this person struggling to deal with how she feels about her mum and dad and, and how she f- manages without her mum and dad and, and that family bond is the core of her isn't it yeah absolutely but that's what you remember you remember the human battles that go on inside the super characters but these super characters didn't have any human battles and that's i think what what is making us find them so difficult to like and superman was sent to earth to protect us so his parents even chose earth to, to send him here and there, you don't feel that about them there's a hint in the promotional material certainly that they are here to I think first and foremost save themselves but in turn that will save us and I, I, it's not endearing me as, a, as, as an earthy inhabitant it's not, soon enough. It's not <laughs> no. big enough is it I've got, to, I've got to wait six books for them to decide that I'm save worthy yeah <laughs> Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. You, you'd like to feel that. Even, even, even the Transformers have that, don't they? Absolutely, save uh, human life. Yeah, no human should. And and that again in this doesn't come across. I'm not sure whether they actually killed anyone or not. There was a lot of battle scenes with the with with people, and I'm not sure whether they didn't. To me, that's the big, huge no. You know, you don't kill humans. Mm. And their, their obvious ambition for, for, for these books um, is, is there, and we heard the, in the promotional gump earlier. Um, but reviews for this, when I, when I put together the reviews, I always look and see what other people are saying and see if I can, you know, find a different angle or a different uh, opinion, something to, to talk to you about it. Um, there were no real reviews for, the, for this book other than sites like Goodreads or uh, Our Namesakes, The Reading Room. And a lot of these came from, uh, well, obviously it's aimed at young adults, but the young adults in it all want, they, they, I, don't, I don't know, it didn't seem to me like they connected with the, with the characters. They wanted to guide the characters. But I don't know, a certain amount of them did seem to own the characters and want that certain things for them. I mean, it, that happens, I think, particularly in sci-fi, doesn't it? Yeah. I get loads of people wanting to kill my characters off so other people can get together. 
But that's good. <laughs> I think that's good because that's like fan fiction, isn't it? Yes. You know, where, where your reader actually is so into your character that they'll go away and make up their own story mm. because they want that to happen. And it sparks creativity. And I think this genre, not my favourite genre at, at all, as, as regular listeners will know, um, but it is uh, the, the most creative and sparking and uh, inspirational, I think, certainly, certainly for young adults. Anything to do with science fiction fantasy? I remember, I can't probably, this is probably a quote from somebody very famous and I can't remember who it is, but somebody saying that, that science fiction is not about spacecraft, it's about how to be a good human. Mm. And these are not good humans. No. And, no, they're not. I no. mean, I, I, I have to say, again, we talk about the writer, can write, write it a darn sight better than I can, but can't write it as well as you can. Oh, Jill. <laughs> but, you know, it's a blush. But it's it's still, you know, it's still somebody's worked very hard on it, I'm sure. And, it's, yeah, and when we say this, this is something yeah. I wanted to pick up from what you hmm. said earlier. Somebody, this somebody. Pitticus Law. Pitticus Law is actually a, a, a character, something to do with inside the book. So let, let's cover that because it's a hmm. pseudonym. Yes. Um, and not, not something I'm always, uh, I know, I always find it a bit cloak and dagger a pseudonym. But um, it's, I, I, it's James Frey and uh, Joby Hughes. Joby Hughes, Joby Hughes are the collective pseudonym Pitticus Law. And Pitticus Law is apparently the uh, Loric Elder from the planet Lorien. Uh, and that, that, like I say, that forms part of the story. But there's a, a checkered, James Frey has a checkered background about, you know, he's, he's been on Oprah. And um, now I, I feel comfortable in saying he lied because uh, the publishers have wanted to have offered re- refunds for a book that he's written in the past that he called an autobiography, which wasn't an autobiography there's a certain amount made up about it so th- it just seems like it's all built on a on a on a soggy marshland this doesn't it it's not you know there's there's no there's it's not good hearted it comes from a place that's obviously you know got got a, a, a dodgy background um so there's there, there's nothing but it's selling mm. that's frustrating isn't it i don't think that book 6 will sell anywhere near what book 1 sold mm. I think book one sold a lot of copies because they'd already sold the rights to the movie before book one actually came out. Um, And so there's a big hype around it, a big, you know, there's a lot of excitement because it's to do with Steven Spielberg as well. But as a book, if I was reading, I mean, I know people who read the first one and really enjoyed it. Um, I haven't asked them about the third one and I will do. Um, But as as a reading experience, I would not buy the fourth book. And it must be very difficult writing a series anyway because you've almost got to sell the whole series with each book, haven't mm. you? Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I know from uh, my book, other book-selling life, y- you don't generally do as well with a second book or a third book as you do with a first because you're selling to the, the same people. But you don't... I mean, you do as well, but you don't always get a, a build-up because, because unless you include the whole plot of the first book and the first two books or whatever in, in the beginning of it you've you are you are you have got a captive audience and they grow up a little bit possibly and you know it it you have to almost sell the whole series again and i can't i don't know that this would do so no Okay, well, let's have a quick look at the cover. What do we think of the cover? The, the books we have are the ones that are uh, aimed at the young adults. There's, there are two covers uh, aimed at young adults. This one, the one we have, a bright, shiny orange, is aimed at young adults. Um, doesn't really say much or give much about it. But there is another cover, that one there I'm holding up for you there, which is very yeah. good for radio, I know. Uh, but I did, I'd, I'd look at that and I think, wow, I, I really, really like that one. Whereas the, the one we have, it just doesn't connect with me at all, really, apart from it being shiny. I, I still feel... They're trying to make that look like Game of Thrones, aren't they? I suppose. That's like a sandy colour, isn't it? I've seen mm-hmm. it on like a yeah. desert colour, yeah. um, which has nothing to do with the story really until the sort of, 
you know. A no, 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 I know, I know. Um, it makes, I it just... it makes it hard to pull the labels off. Yeah, I tend to throw the, <laughs> I tend to throw the sleeves away when I get them home. Anyway, I'm one of those that pulls the really? bit off and throws it in the bin. Yeah, Ooh, straight away. Do you not use that as a bookmark? Or? No, 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 no. I have a bookmark. Oh, well, I use used, postcards. Someone used Twitter yeah. as a bookmark yesterday, which I, I I think I put out there and said that's the first actual real decent use of Twitter. What where you tweet? What page you're on? Yeah. Yes. Seventy seven. Okay, so the fact that we're talking about that and not talking about this book, I think, uh, signifies. Let's go around the table and <laughs> see if you're going to recommend this to our reading room listeners. Uh, Jill, let's start with you. No. Don't shake your head. You're and, going to speak. No, no. I find it very hard to say no because I think, you know, anything that's making people read is good, but I wouldn't suggest they start with this. Okay, Georgia. I've never done a review like this before, so this is sort of new to me. And obviously it's in my genre and my age group. I would like to Which is, think... Which what, what's the age group? What? what? Your 12 to 15 yeah. sort of YA mm-hmm. group. I would like to think that my readers came away with more knowledge at the end of book three than this. And so... I can't. I would like them. I'd like to think that if they read one, two, and three, and they were still in the thick of it, and they enjoyed the storyline, that's great. Would I recommend this? No, I probably wouldn't. Okay, I'm going to say yes just because you two have said no. <laughs> um, but obviously, no, no. I think it, it comes as a, a resounding no, really, and um, you know, could do better next time. The reading rooms: 101 books to read before you die. Hello, this is Jim Bob, the author of Driving Jarvis Ham, and the book I would read would be The Lonely Polygamist by Brady Udall, or Udall, not sure how you pronounce his name. It was the second book of his I read. The first book was called The Miracle Life of Edgar Mint, which was one of the best books I've ever read, and then he took ages to write another one, and then this was the next one, The Lonely Polygamist, and it's just incredible. Just It's long, but not at any point did I feel like it was long, unlike a lot of other books that are long and you think this could have been 200 pages shorter it's an incredible book our thanks to Jim Bob there with his nomination for 101 books to read before you die okay uh, while we have uh, the presence of Georgia Twynham here in the studio how is book four coming along Georgia swimmingly swimmingly it's palpable (laughs) (laughs) well we all like the word palpable don't we we all like the word palpable it's coming on really well yeah, good. Uh, um, so recently on Facebook, you put up um, a post of Oasis, Stop Crying Your Heart Out, and saying that that was a, a real inspirational moment, something that, that hit and you, mm. you know, really reacted. Mm. Um, now, we can't ask you to give anything away. No. And you're not going to. No. Um, because you don't trust me anymore. But... And <laughs> <laughs> trust uh, your wife. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but can you describe what happens in that moment? Is it, is it, is it a high... Yeah, it's a bit like a runner's high. Yeah, you sort of get that serotonin thing going in your brain going, you've cracked it. it it's You plan and you plan and you plan and you put your storyline down and your plot and everything and you start to build on it and build on it. And then it's almost like a tipping point where you you, you feel this story's a winner. I've actually created a brand new story with my characters, kept the plot line going, introduced new characters, made it all really exciting whilst putting them all in danger, as I always do, um, and the readers are going to love it. And that's the most important thing for me. I'm going to love it. I'm loving writing it anyway, but the readers are going to go, ooh, ah. Mm-hmm. And, and it was just, yeah, when I, and I just happened to be listening to that song. And it just sort of, it was one of those, oh, my goodness me, this is perfect. Yeah, and fabulous. I think it's one of the rare moments with, with that Oasis track where you and I agree. Uh, on 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 one piece of music yes. because you know do, uh, I don't know why you don't little mix <laughs> beyond me well, I don't know I, I, I quite Coldplay. like I quite like little mix and I think if you, if 
I might have declared in the past, although it might not be true, that I um, uh, that I voted for them on X Factor. I bought the single sign. Really? Take, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Well, I, th- I think they're generally pretty good role models for children. But anyway, let's let's yes, veer away from the, uh, from the from <laughs> the from the X Factor sort. So. Um, You've got that, and you've got it in the flow. So, when can we expect to see it on the on the shelves? When, when can the ever ever increasing fan base get a hold of a copy? Um, it's planned for March because now it has to work in line with the audios, so it has to come out more or less the same time as last. So, we've got time for me to finish the book. It gets it gets edited and everything else, and then it goes off to the audio people, and they can record it so that they can both be launched at the same time in March. Okay, well, you're skimming over that, and I need to get more detail there about audios. And audio, audio Go, isn't it, that have, that have picked this up? Yeah, Audio Go, which is the home of the BBC audiobook, have um, purchased the first three books, and they will be out at the end of September on for download, and then in November for CD, uh, going into libraries in September as well, end of September. And they're being read by Katie Carmichael. Yeah, yeah. She's uh, what's she been in? She's in Coronation Street, Waterloo Road. She does a lot of she does the Cadbury's adverts, and she did something called Spaced in nineteen ninety nine with Simon Pegg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm very familiar with that. So, uh, how how exciting is this now for you? Is, is, is this this is really a step up? This is driving it? the car in the middle of nowhere and bursting into tears. Exciting. Yeah, <laughs> that's how exciting this is. Just going. Oh, I can't believe this is happening to me. Yeah, it's it's acknowledgement from somebody in their position. First of all, they don't normally buy a series that's already in motion. So for them to buy all three books and then want dibs on the next is fantastic. Um, And then to go and meet them all in in Bath and then be so lovely and so amazing and be so passionate about the books as well. You sort of walk into the room and think they're going to go, oh, hello. And they're like, oh, we love the series and we've read this and we've done that. And it was just wonderful. It was just wonderful to meet Katie and see her recording. I think for me, the moment that really hit me was... I walked into the recording studio. She's on the other side of the glass. The producer's here. And she's got my book in A4 paper sort of opened out. And I looked down and I saw Zach's name. And I could feel the tears in my eyes. I was like, oh, they've got my book. You know, and it was just so emotional. The whole thing. I felt so silly. I felt like an old mum seeing a child off to school. You know, it was just, it was too much. And, And I just feel so excited. And I think that this will take the series to a new market. And I probably didn't take into consideration how many millions of audiobooks are sold every year and how big audiobooks are. Um, so I'm hoping that's going to be, you know, one of the catalysts that takes us to the next level. Well, superb. And obviously we'll uh, we'll continue to support you. We're here with the Reading Room, but also Siren FM, you know, as, as a yeah. station here in Lincoln, uh, been a great supporter of you. Now I'd cross to Jill. Jill, what I'd like to know what you've been reading uh, of late. Well, just sort of following on from what George has said there, I'd, I read several, a couple of things at a time, but I also listen to audio. And I am deep in, I'm deep in Stephen Kingland at the moment on my audio. And it ha- it is a different way of getting story across. And it's a, a very, very good good medium. It means you can actually clean the house and do the things you're meant to do at the same time instead of reading. So it's good on that level. But it has to be done right, doesn't but it? But it has to be done right and it has to be done well. And, um, and so I'm reading this. I'm in the middle of the stand at the moment. And I've also just finished reading the Justin Cronin, the Twelfth. So I've spent a lot of time at the end of the world lately. OK, now you, I mean, now you've done that and you, you're spending your time there at the end of the world. I mean, what you do... What are you going to plan to read next? Wait. Well, the other thing that I'm reading alongside, I'm I'm also deep in the Barchester Chronicles, the Anthony Trollope. I'm on Family Parsonage at the moment. And this is, is good, classical, out of copyright stuff. And it's 
brilliant stuff. And so I've I'm I'm into I'm doing series at the moment, I think, and so I'm into all the Barchester stuff. Okay, well, thank you both very much for coming and joining us uh, this morning. I really appreciate your your views on there. And of course, Georgia, all the best uh, with the 13th series as it grows and grows. Hi, I'm Richard Herring. Hello, this is Georgia Twynham. Hi, this is Mark Kermo. This is Tony Hawkes. This is Karen Maitland. This is Brandon Cleary. And you're listening to The Reading Room. The Reading Room. The Reading Room. On Siren 107.3 FM. Complex swastikas. An open letter to neo-Nazi groups. Dearest neo-Nazis, as you're well aware, I'm sure, the swastikas are a somewhat difficult symbol to draw for someone with the lesser cognitive capacity indicative of those who share your ideology. It has right angles and must be made to properly intertwine, and that takes consideration, book learning and time. May I suggest replacing it with something far more simple, a tiny dot resembling a full stop or a pimple? I strongly urge you implement these changes at the double. It's clear from your graffiti that your boys are having trouble. That was Complex Swastikas by Andrew Golding. And that's it for this episode of The Reading Room. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you soon.